When the trail grows fainter and your path uncertain, climb on. When the rocks become sharper and tear at your feet, climb on. When rain clouds threaten and the fierce winds howl, climb on. When the air grows thin and each breath takes more effort, climb on. When the crowds turn back and the path becomes lonely, climb on. When your faith is pushed to its ultimate limit, climb on. That's right, my friend, climb on. A reward awaits for all those who refuse to give up, for all those who reach the summit. Life trails, take the next step. We're continuing in our uh, Life Trail series this morning uh, called The Summit. And uh, we come not to the, a mountain, but we come to a hillside that Jesus went up on to instruct his disciples on how to live as his followers. Now, this instruction uh, that Jesus gave has become probably one of the most famous passages in all the Bible, um, many a sermon has been preached on Matthew's chapters 5 through 7. And I invite you to turn there as uh, we're going to spend the whole afternoon there today, all right? No, I'm just joking. Just a, a few moments. But I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter, chapter 5. In fact, you know, in the first 12 verses of chapter 5 where you find... Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, and those that follow. They've been entitled the Beatitudes. The attitudes that we are really, in essence, to have as followers of, of Jesus. And that hillside where it is believed that Jesus, even, uh, that, that Jesus taught them has been named the Mount of Beatitudes, even though it's just a hillside up from the Sea of Galilee near Capernaum, and you see it there in the picture. Now, the Sermon on the Mount includes some of the most well-known uh, teachings of Jesus. Jesus uh, Christ Jesus didn't come just uh, to replace the law, and, uh, and that's one of the teachings that's part of that, but to fulfill it. And as, as we live in Christ, that we are able to live out these truths. And that's, that's key, essential. As we, as you look at this entire passage, in fact, you'll have opportunity to do that this week uh, in your growth guide. One of the things is that's, that's essential to understand: you cannot do this in yourself. You cannot live out these truths in and of yourself. You have to do it as you live in in, in Christ. And uh, our Savior Jesus, He spoke in a way that all could understand. But in this sermon. He comes and he, he sits down and he pulls his disciples even closer to him and he looks to speak into their life. Every word, every word was intentional and filled with wisdom to live by. It wasn't, it wasn't meant to be about rules to follow, but about knowing God's heart for you that he sees and cares about you and ultimately cares about your heart. Now, this past week, 
in my study, I printed off the entire, all the verses from chapter 5 to chapter 7. And so I printed them off and I read them repeatedly throughout the week. I went for walks and I listened to them throughout the week. And, and I cried out to God, there's three chapters. What do you want me to say? And uh, I read through them all. I, I read over and over and over again. And um, again, I, I would encourage you to do that this week as you take the growth guide and, and read through them and make that a priority of your week. But in my reading, here's the thing. In my reading and underlining, I, and I just started underlining and circle in words that jumped out of me and repeated multiple times. And so in my underlining this past week, these phrases jumped out at me. Blessed are those or thee, sons of God. You are kingdom of heaven. You have heard it said. Your father or your Father in heaven. And those were the phrases that kind of jumped out at me as I read over and over uh, again. And after reflecting on these, these phrases that are repeated over and over, I was reminded, I was reminded of the truth that goes throughout all the Bible. And that is this. God loves us and desires a holy relationship. With us. You see, when Adam and Eve uh, sinned in the garden, uh, their sin destroyed the relationship that mankind has with a holy God, with our holy God. But now in Jesus Christ, He is looking to restore our relationship with Him. When we, when we by faith, place faith and trust in Christ, for the forgiveness of our sins, and confess him with our mouth to be our Lord. Now reflect, reflect with me just on, on these phrases that jumped out to me this past week. First of all, there's the phrase, blessed are those, or blessed are, are, are thee. And that phrase alone implies that he wants you to experience his blessing. He wants you to know what it means to be blessed in his kingdom. Then there's this phrase, sons of God. And, and here's the thing, we are more. We are more than subjects in his kingdom. We are sons, daughters of the king of kings. You go on to the phrase, you are the salt and and you are the light of the world. And obviously that's a phrase and a teaching that's been taught over and over again. But here the implication is that he believes in you. He, he, he believes in you and he wants you as his follower to join him in what he is doing in this world. To be influencers that impact this world. There comes the phrase kingdom of heaven. And Here's the thing, the idea is that he wants you to be a kingdom-minded follower and to know that you have an eternal future that go, goes beyond this world and the life that we live, but it, it goes into eternity. And then he uses the phrase over and over again, your father, your father, your father in heaven. 
And here he, he wants you to see. He's your father. And he wants to get personal with you. Just like he did with those disciples as they sat down on that hillside. And, and he draws them close. He wanted to get personal with them. And, and so he does want to get personal with you in your life. You see, now, for the Jews, um, uh, their relationship with God, it became this list. Laws to obey and, and, and fear that God would bring down judgment on them at a moment's notice. What, what we began back in history, what we began back with Abraham as a, as a relationship of leading his people by faith and creating a people that would bless the, all, all, all of mankind became throughout history a, a religion, really, of, of rules. The law that was given to Moses was intended to guide them in that relationship so that they might understand the holiness and that they could enter into that, that holiness as they looked forward to a day that, that God would bring about forgiveness of their, of their sins. And, and that law was designed to help them understand that they needed a Savior and a Messiah. And what Jesus looks to teach his disciples as he sits down with them is now is this, as he looks, is this, is that he's the, he wants them to understand that he is the personal fulfillment of that law that was given so many years ago and that he has come, he has come to restore that relationship between God and all of mankind that we so desperately need. And so here's the first truth I'm going to give you here this morning that I believe you need to understand about the Sermon on the Mount, and that is this. It's about God's heart for you. God has a heart for you. He has a heart for you to truly experience the fullness of, of, of his blessing in your life. And, and what's important to understand is that his blessing is opposite of what the world defines as being blessed. And so he begins by defining here in chapter 5 what it is to be blessed by God. And I, I, I'm not going to be able to dig into these, but I like to read these. And so you can follow along or just listen as I read these, these verses from 4 to 12 in chapter 5. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when, you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And as I, I just as I just said, we, we don't have time to dig into these verses, but I would encourage you to go back. 
I actually, three years, preached a lesson, uh, uh, a message on this. And you can find my message. Now, this is a little self-promotion, right? But uh, you can find my message on our website. Just type in Mark or Mark Manzer in the sermon area, and, and you can look at it. Or better yet, I would encourage you to go to Right Now Media. And on Right Now Media, there is a, there's a series that just came online. It would be something for you to look and dig into this, this week in regards to, to this. But know this. But know this. God's heart is for you. And there is no greater love you can know or experience in your life than the love of God and his holiness at work in your heart and life. No greater love. God has a heart for you. It's demonstrated even in the cross. We see the fullness of that in, in his sacrifice. But he has, a, he has a heart for you right now, where you're at, whatever you're going through. He has this heart for you. And he loves you deeply. He wants you to experience the fullness of who he is and his holiness in your life. But there's the next truth you need to understand about, I, about this sermon that I, I like you to understand. And that is this. It's also about your heart for God. Following these uh, blessed are, uh, what we call the Beatitudes, Jesus goes into many sermon, I would say, after many sermon, after many sermon. And, I, you know, there's lots of debates, you know, was this a one-time sitting or was this over a period of days? And it's believed most likely it was a one-time sitting, but... But he goes into this mini-sermon after mini-sermon, and he, he speaks to the heart issues that the disciples had. And so as he's sitting down with them, he, he wants to address some key things that, that they, they needed to look at in their own life, but that we also have. That, they need to, that we need to give our heart over to God. If I were to... Um, if I were to summarize the Sermon on the Mount in a single thought, it would be something like this. How to have a heart for God in every area of your life. Pretty simple, right? To expand on that, though, it's, it's how to live a life that's dedicated to and pleasing to God, free from hypocrisy and full of love and grace and wisdom and, and discernment. Just, in fact... Just look at the titles here of these many sermons in the Sermon on the Mount. And so you can flip the pages of your own Bible, and, and most likely you'll see. But there's a, obviously there's a section we just looked at, the Beatitudes, and that's to have a heart for, for, for godly attitudes, God's heart attitudes to come live out in your life. There's the section on salt and light. And there's to have a heart of influence. There's that section on Jesus fulfills the law. And that's to have a heart for living, living in Christ. Living out and living his truth in, in your life. There's a section on anger. Or this would be a section where to dwell. And murder. And here is to have a heart to show compassion. And to surrender your emotions to him. We live in a culture that we love to just let our emotions fling and fly. And here God speaks to that. There's a section on lust and adultery, and that's to have a heart for purity. That I want, 
I want to seek out purity in every area of my life, in my thought life, but also in my actions. There's a, there's a section here on divorce and remarriage and how to have a heart to honor God in my marriage. There's a section on oaths, how to have, have a heart to keep, to keep my word, let my yes be yes and my no be no. To have a heart to, then there's an eye for an eye, and that's to have a heart to forgive and not take revenge. There's a, there's a section on love your enemies, to have a heart to, to love my enemies, obviously. Then there's the next one there to give to the needy. That's to have a heart to, to meet the needs of the needy in our culture. There's a, there's a section on prayer, how to have a heart to humbly seek God in, with all things, uh, God's will in all things in my life. There's a heart, even a section there on fasting. I've been reflecting on that because I'm not, I'm not a good faster, but maybe I need to go back and meditate on this passage. And, but what, what, what would that mean for me to have a heart to know God intimately? There's treasures in heaven, and that's to have a heart for eternal. And there's do not worry, and that's to have a heart to trust God regardless. And then there's do not judge hypocritically, and that's to have a heart to live faithfully. And it goes on and on, and you can see. Over again, it's to have a heart, a heart, God's heart. Let my heart be God's heart in every area of my life. But right in the middle of of these mini-sermons is a, a passage that really jumped out to me this week. And it's in chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. And it says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And this is the key verse I want you to, to focus on. This is the one that really jumped out at me as I read and kept reading. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your treasure? What do you treasure in life? Because ultimately that's what God wants. He wants full heart treasuring of him. See, this sermon on, about, on the mount, it's, it's about God's heart for you, but it's also about your heart for God. And does God have your heart? That part of your life that drives your attitudes that drives your emotions, that drives your passions, that drives your commitments. Does God have those things? Does he? He wants your heart. Because every day, what this is about is every day it's, it's getting up and saying, God, you got my heart again today. I'm going to give you my heart in this emotional anger moment. I'm going to give you heart in, in my marriage. I'm going to give you my heart as I raise my kids. I'm going to give you my heart as I go to my job. God, help me to God, have my heart. He wants, he wants your heart. And so in conclusion, I would ask simply, does God have your heart? You know, I know God's heart for you is beyond description. I know it. If we fully understand the depth of God's love, that's, that's, in fact, 
that is the key to God having your own heart. Is diving daily deeper in the depth of God's love for you. The more you understand the depth of God's love for you, the more you're able to have a heart. A heart for him. And so I'd ask, does God have, does God have your heart? In every area of life, your attitudes, your emotions, your relationships, and your commitments. You know, many times in this series, I, uh, when I think about Summit, I think of my brother Tim, um, who loved climbing mountains and getting to the summit. Uh, he was a mountain climber from the very beginning. Uh, he would, if he were to, uh, you know when they do those security questions, you know, on websites and ask you what's your favorite vacation? This week I had to ask to me as I uh, was booking a flight to Chicago and, and they asked me, uh, I was setting up an account and they said, what's your favorite vacation? I said, the beach. It's always the beach. For my brother, it's the mountains. It's the mountains. He loves, he loves climbing the mountains. Tim has a heart for climbing up mountains to reach the summit. This week, my brother, last Sunday afternoon, my brother uh, Tim and my younger brother Mike showed up at my house. They're off onto an adventure to climb Mount Washington in New Hampshire. Now, what is significant about this climb is that it was the therapy goals. I don't know if you have therapy goals. Sometimes you need them, right? It was therapy goals uh, for both of them. For my younger brother, Mike, uh, he had back surgery eight and a half months ago. They fused uh, some whatever, butabray, and this was his goal that he set to climb Mount Washington and to do it, uh, obviously, with his brother, that nine and a half miles up and down. The last time Tim climbed this mountain was when he was 21. And for Tim this week, this is the 20th anniversary of his motorcycle accident. And you can see the end result of that accident, his bike on a trailer there. In that accident, it's amazing that Tim did not die. In fact, uh, he's expressed to me there are some weeks when in recovery he had wished he had, he had died. He broke both wrists, an ankle and his pelvis, and he did some great damage to vital organs in his body, a bladder issue and maybe a spleen, some things, I can't remember all those areas. He had those, you ever seen those fixator things? I could show you some pretty gory pictures, but I chose not to today. He had fixators everywhere, sticking out here and there, this big U-shaped one coming around to hold his pelvis together. And uh, he was told that he'd be lucky if he ever walked again. And he better give up any hope of climbing a mountain again. And surely he will never run. And obviously you already know the end of the story. But his pastor that he now serves with wrote this email this past week about Tim and and the last 20 years, and I'd like to share that email with you in closing. And I read it on behalf of Craig, the senior pastor at his church. He writes this. This is an email giving tribute to Pastor Tim Manzer, who this week will commemorate the 20th anniversary 
since he visited death's door and lived to tell about it. 20 years ago, Kim Manzer nearly became a young widow. 20 years ago, TJ and Jennifer almost lost their dad. He never would have even seen his grandkids. 20 years ago, New Hope almost lost one of our treasured pastors. But God, in his gracious kindness, walked him back from death. And we have been recipients of his ministry for an additional two decades. Praise Jesus. He goes on to describe what took place. He goes, it was a gorgeous morning on Friday, August 2nd, 2002. Tim had just completed a wedding rehearsal at Crystal Mountain Resort. It was a wedding that he would be unable to perform due to an accident which awaited him just a mile from the resort. Tim hopped on his motorcycle, his 1979 Honda Goldwing, and began making his way towards Traverse City. As he was approaching an intersection, a young lady coming from another direction never saw the stop sign, nor did she see Tim until it was too late. Tim collided with her vehicle, crushing his motorcycle and launching him through the air at devastating speed. After Tim landed on the ground, he had three thoughts that ran through his mind before he passed out. That was bad. If I can find my hand, maybe they can put it back on. I'm dead. Dear God, take care of my family. As far as Tim knew, that was the last breath, his last breath on earth. He wasn't entering eternity where he would meet his Savior. Eternal joy would be his, and the devastating loss of earthly grief would be ours. But God had other plans. Craig goes on to write, he goes, I was a young co-worker at the time of Tim's accident. Tim was the wise, capable associate. Then I was the 25-year-old still in training. I still remember the phone call and the visit to Munson emergency room that day. And as Kim was awaiting word on the condition of her husband, I recall her complete and undivided trust was in the Lord. Who else is there in time of trauma? Where else can we take our fears except to the throne of God who loves us? Much more could be said about the accident. The recovery process, the supportive community of faith, the hurtful words of well-wishers who said the wrong thing at the wrong time, the relational healing with the woman who hit Tim. But let me give you a brief tribute to a man whose ministry has changed our church. Since that day in 2002, New Hope has been blessed with 20 additional years of phenomenal broken ministry. Through pain, sorrow, grief, stress, physical agony, emotional turmoil, Pastor Tim has been used by God to speak hope and confidence to our congregation. He has been, he has sat beside the beds of those who have taken their last breath. He has counseled people who are in grief. He has ministered to those in addiction. He has helped lead mission trips that have changed the village in Guatemala forever. He has mentored young men 
He has blessed our staff with wisdom. He has performed funerals, officiated weddings, and been the first responder in times of crisis. He has held my children when they were young. He has hiked mountains with me to endure the highest peaks in the lower U.S. with me and has been a friend the best in, in the best and the worst of times. One sermon he did years ago, Craig writes, prompted my eldest daughter to make a life-changing decision. Another sermon he did brought me to the altar where I made a decision that changed the legacy of our family forever. There is no greater tribute I can give to than the direct words of Scripture from Philippians 2.20 from the Apostle Paul. I have no one else but Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. Cheers to an additional 20 years of ministry. Tim not only survived an accident, but he's been used by God to change the legacy of our church. Every door frame has been touched by his hand and heart. And every heart has been changed by his fingerprints. Here's some pics of him running a race. You know how he learned how to run? He was out walking in his side yard and and uh, he, totally, he totally couldn't run. So he walked and he walked and he walked. And uh, a wasp nest fell out of a tree. <laughs> Next thing he knew, he was on the porch. He goes, I can run. He signs up for a marathon the next week. I'm going to run that race. He joins T.C. Travers Run Club. And he's one of the regulars in his life. And this week he climbed up Mount Washington. In fact, that picture right there is him on the bridge. Go back on the bridge, that bridge. I went up there with him on that one. He wanted to run it. I walked it. <laughs> he ran it. Uh, it says a lot about my running skills. But anyways, this week he climbed Mount Washington, not for the praise of himself, but to the glory of God who continues to bring healing to his mind, spirit, and body. And here's a few pictures. And he's at the top. You know, I, I share this email, I share the story of my brother for this reason. Tim has a, a heart to climb mountains in the face of all odds. But he has a greater heart and love for God who has done the miraculous throughout all his life. Now, I want to be very careful not to assume that I understand how Tim and God got through the past 20 years. I cannot speak to that. As a brother, I've watched. I've learned. And I've been challenged by Tim and his faith in God. But I think it's tied to what I've strived to say to you today. Do you understand the depth of God's heart for you? God's heart for you, for me, for my brother Tim, is greater than anything you are going through. And then secondly, 
Does God have your heart? Does he have your heart? Ultimately, greater things are going to come when we as a people let God have our heart in full. I believe Tim responded to God's heart for him by continuing to give his heart over to God every day. Every day. You see, God having your heart, it starts by trusting Jesus for salvation from your sins and then confessing with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and making him Lord of your life. That's where it starts. If God's going to have your heart, you've got you to gotta deal with that first in your life. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ by faith for the forgiveness of your sins and confessed him now to be the Lord of your life? And here's the thing. If you never crossed over that line in a sense or that, that journey of faith to Christ, I invite you to do that today. I invite you to do that today. Like simply expressing out of your heart that you are a sinner. I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross for me, Jesus, and I now confess you to be my Lord and Savior. And just cry it out as, as the Lord leads you in your life. That's where it starts. But then, here's the thing. It's giving your heart over to God. Every area for the rest of your life. Every day, I got to get up, get up and say, God, you got my heart. It's yours. You got my heart. You know, I've surrendered my life for eternity when I place faith in Jesus Christ. But now I have to surrender it every day for victory. And that's what it is, giving God my heart. Romans 10, 9, 11 says this as the band comes up to close us in a song. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Stand with us as we sing. And afterwards, I'll be up here in front. If you need some prayer, I'll be here for you.